Welcome to the Proclaim Podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Our hosts are Brett Powell, Heather Kim, and Jason Jensen. In the last episode with Father James Mallon, we talk about the heart behind being a missionary disciple and modeling Jesus' example of evangelization. In this episode, we talk about the simplicity of the gospel and the power of creating space for people to belong. If you haven't listened to part one, we encourage you to go back and listen to it before continuing. You said something that I wanted to circle back with because it's provocative in what you said, but I know there's substance to what you said as well. So you said, if you know Catholics kind of designed the Alpha program or Alpha course, whatever, it'd be 35 weeks long, you know, and, and like you're saying something and it gets people thinking, but there is a real issue at hand of complicated things or maybe not understanding what comes first, you know, and things like that. So maybe speak a little bit to that in particular to to missionary disciples inviting simplicity inviting you know understanding what comes first and staying with it you know yeah it's it's the it's the human problem you know you talked about cco you guys have done such a great job you know in that in the ultimate ultimate relationship it's the it's the the simple creedal formula we find in the new testament you know uh, the same paul, paul talks about it um and and the fact that, you know, there's the human problem and, and Jesus through his, his passion and his death and resurrection uh, that, that he brings forgiveness and mercy and the, the good news that, that we are loved, that God is not our enemy, that God is for us. I mean, this is, the, this is the kernel of our faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that those who believe in him may have eternal life. I mean, we, we say, yeah, 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 gloss over it. Let's talk about the Eucharist or let's talk about this. Let's talk about Mary and the saints, you know. I remember in my early years, my when I was pursuing holiness and orthodoxy, I designed a 24-week RCIA pro- program, which I thought was the best thing in the world. And I look back on it now and I cringe because Jesus was was week two. Mm-hmm. What was week one? Yeah, begs the question. Uh, God, the, the existence of God was week one. Jesus was week two. Holy Spirit was week three. And then I had 17 other weeks to get into the real stuff. Yeah. The real me. So here's part of the problem is that, and it's a danger I see among some younger Catholics, is, is we define Catholic as that which is distinctive from other Christians. And that's part of the, well, that's not Catholic. It's like, we well, then Jesus isn't Catholic, and the Father and the Holy Spirit aren't Catholic, and the Scriptures aren't, aren't Catholic. I mean, this is, this is preposterous. And in many ways, it's, we're still in a, in a reaction mode from, from the time of the Reformation. And, and, and it's, in that sense, it's, it's very dangerous. I mean, all Christian truth that is truth, uh, the this documents of Second, Second Vatican Council say, ultimately comes from, from, from the unity of the Catholic faith. I mean, that's, that's where it came from. And so we can be guilty of, of bringing division to the, the content of faith as much as anyone else when we somehow have in our mindset that, oh, well, that's, that's not really Catholic because it doesn't talk about what is distinctive in particular to the Catholic faith. Uh, I think of, uh, again, Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium says something beautiful. Listen to this. This is paragraph 35, pastoral ministry in a missionary style is not obsessed with the disjointed transmission of a multitude of doctrines to be insistently imposed. When we adopt a pastoral goal and a missionary style, which would actually reach 
everyone without exception or exclusion. The message has to concentrate on the essentials of what is most beautiful, most grand, most appealing, at the, and at the same time, most necessary. The message is simplified while losing none of its depth and truth, and thus becomes all the more forceful and convincing. See, in the early church, they, they distinguish between the, the, the kerygma and the didache and the mystagogia. So, you, you know, you had the, 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 the proclamation that, that, that evangelized someone, and then the, 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 the catechesis, which led people to the sacraments. And then after the sacraments, there was an understanding, okay, we've got the, the rest of your life to continue to deepen and grow. But we often want to serve up a whole meal mm-hmm. and we just overwhelm people. And, and uh, yeah, it's not very pretty. Mm-hmm. And not very loving. I feel that's the, you know, the other, the other part that's, um, it might come from a place of good intention, you know, to teach the beauty of the Eucharist and, and all these things. But uh, it's kind of like feeding those babies that you've been making through Alpha, you know, steak. It's like the, my, you know, my 10 month old can't eat steak, you know? Um, That's right. That's right. Well, I, I remember j- just a few weeks ago, there was the Pew survey about the percentage of Catholics who believed that the Eucharist was a symbol which I, I thought was a bit, maybe the confession, the, the, the question was, was uh, I'm not exactly how, how, sure how it, how it was asked because our Catholic faith actually says that the Eucharist is a symbol, but it, it actually is what it symbolizes. So it's not just a symbol, it is a symbol and it it's embodies the very reality it symbolizes. That's the nature of, of, a, of a sacrament. But even if it's true that 70% of Catholics don't believe what the church teaches in the Eucharist, and even 30% of people who go to church faithfully. I mean, what would be the, the percentages if you ask them if they believe that, that Jesus is, is, is Lord and Savior? Or if you ask them about the hypostatic union, I think but 98% of the people wouldn't believe the teaching of the church with that one. So, I mean, why are we surprised? I mean, I think the issue of, of the terrible state of catechesis is not the terrible state of catechesis, it's the terrible state of evangelization that we have to touch people's hearts enough for them to want, awaken their minds to want to know more. Because mm. I remember hearing a talk by Curtis Martin. It was a great talk. He talked about the difference between not caring, not knowing, and not caring. The pro- we treat problems in the church of not knowing as if it's just, or, or problems of not caring as if it's a problem of not knowing. It's like, oh, you don't care. Let me give you more information. <laughs> no. They don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter how much information you give me. Until I care, I don't care. But when I do care, when I fall in love, then I want to know. I want to know more yeah. and more. I thirst for knowledge. And that that's, our, again, the, the primacy of evangelization is, is, is so key for us, I think, to, d- goes, to rediscover that. It goes back to your, your sharing your testimony. There was a moment where you encountered Jesus Christ for who he truly was, and it changed everything. Yeah. It opens up everything and it opens yourself up to the deeper, you know, catechesis and all the rest of it. Right. And before that, I mean, I remember I hated Sunday school. I was forced to go to get talk about injustice. I was forced to go to Sunday school on Sunday morning. It was my earliest theological argument with my father that I was, I thought I had a good case of this. I, I made a case that wasn't Sunday supposed to be a day of rest. And he was making me get up out of bed. And, and even worse, I had to go back to the school, the same school that I went to school at, Monday to Friday. It was awful. And I just, I, I, resent, I used to sit in class and fume and hate it. And I remember there was a breakthrough moment 
in my, I'd been a priest for seven years and I went to my second parish and it was the first month and we had catechism classes for all the grades, including uh, grade nines. And this one, after, this one morning between masses, I dropped in in the grade nine class and what I saw horrified me. It was like 12 zombies sitting in a chair looking as if they were being tortured to death. It was agonizing. It was obviously agonizing for them. They hated it. It was irrelevant. And we sat, the, the, the teacher sat there reading stuff at them. And I thought, what? It was, it was a moment. It just hit me. What the heck are we doing? We, we are guaranteeing that these kids are going to walk out of, right out of the church uh, as soon as they are graduated, i.e. confirmed. Like, because they hate it. We're, we're, we're actually in, how can we take the most potent reality in the universe, the answer to the deepest hunger of the human soul, and communicate it in a way that makes people hate it? What the heck are we doing, people? Yeah, we're in. No, sorry, I got a little, yeah. a little passionate about this. And we're inoculating them potentially from hearing the gospel again. Oh, I've tried that. Potentially, yeah, exactly. potentially, potentially. Are you yeah. kidding me? I was trying to be nice, but <laughs> you're absolutely right. Where we are inoculating. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. We're inoculating them because in my in our experience, almost it's almost easier to to reach people with no church background or with little church background than people that have gone through the whole system. We've, we've almost wrecked them. (laughs) We've made them immune. We've created immunity. It's crazy. The phrase that comes to mind, just as you were describing that situation with the, with the kids being taught at, if you will, is it was a classic Mm. case of answering questions. The kids aren't asking. And that's, that's irrelevance to a T. But that's when we look at Alpha, Alpha creates the space for real questions that people have to be put on a table in a safe environment for them to be discussed and not judged and everything else. That's part of the beauty of it. And it's, you talk about the methodology as well, because often Catholic analyses of Alpha is simply a theological analysis of the talk. Here's the thing. We, as as trained theologians and as ordained, we have, uh, we have like, it's almost like the equivalent, the equivalent of hearing a dog whistle when it comes to theological distinction. Whereas, you know, the average person, who, the average guest who comes up who's almost nothing about God or faith doesn't exactly pick up on the nuance. No. And what people remember from the talks is a vague impression. Remember, Alpha has three components, the, the meal, the talk, and the small group. The magic really it happens as much in the meal and the small group as anything, but the meal is about uh, welcoming people, just meeting people humanly, not being weird, not being judgmental, loving people. And then the talk is where they receive a message and it's dialogic. The small group is when we shut our mouths and listen to the guest, even if they say crazy things. And people get very nervous about that, again, because we're very truth-focused in our proclamation but we've got to trust this process because this was the process of jesus jesus said well the son of man came eating and drinking that's how he did his mission he came eating and drinking how is the church going to enter the new evangelization by eating and drinking with sinners eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors and love them to the point, and then speak the truth in love. It's not just, oh, let's love people and meet them where they are and never lead them anywhere. Not at all. Yeah. 
Let's meet them where they are, love them, and then speak the truth in love, and then see what happens. That then see the life transformation. It's the it's the belong, believe, behave paradigm, which mm-hmm. is very different than traditionally when we were behave, believe, belong. If you behave properly and believe the right things, we'll let you belong. And there's some people in the church today who are still of that mindset. And if if we if the church tries to create places for people who neither behave nor believe to belong, people freak out that oh you're you're a heretic you're you're denying moral truth yeah watering no, things not. down or whatever we're, yeah yeah we're trying to do what Jesus did this is what Jesus did I think there's people in the church today that would have anyway they, they wouldn't have been friends of Jesus they would have been right there with the Pharisees accusing him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners yeah. a glutton and a drunkard you know one of the things Sorry, no, let's never apologize. One of the things with, with with Proclaim Movement and all the things we're doing, the podcast and the training and everything, it's part of it is really trying to help people understand and form the, the missionary heart. And what you just spoke about, and I've heard you talk about this so many times and write about it and everything else, but this idea of belong first. I mean, I think that gets really to the heart of the matter, and it gets to the heart of the matter in the sense of how backwards we are often in the church because it's lead with belief and doctrine and this and that first. But a real missionary creates space for people and friendship and does not make a requisite proper belief or behavior. I mean, just speak to that as an animating force behind the fruit of Alpha that you've seen even in your own experience. It's the power of love, like real, real authentic love. When you love people, see, if if, if our motive is not, if our evangelization motives are based in just the, the, the instinct of self-preservation, you know, because the, the church is in decline, we have to change what we're doing and we're not going to be around, which is true. But if that's what motivating us, then that's a kind of form of spiritual vampirism. That's like, you know, I didn't care about you when I thought I was fine, but now I realize I'm dying. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> it becomes what I want from you rather than what I want for you. And our evangelistic efforts have to reflect the heart of the Father. Go to Luke 15, which is coming up in a few weeks in the mm. Sunday readings, that, and meditate on the, this is who Jesus, this is the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus perfectly reveals the Father to us. Like, read that passage as if you know nothing about God and ask, what does this say about God's missionary heart and the disposition of God? Uh, listen to Pope Francis again. He says this, a supposed soundness of doctrine or discipline leads instead to a narcissistic. Well, let me back up. He says, uh, he's talking about those who are fixating on a particular Catholic style from the past. He says, a supposed soundness of doctrine or discipline leads instead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others. And instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. In neither case is one really concerned about Jesus Christ or others. Mm-hmm. Because it, we need to, it's about loving people. It, and this is a challenge uh, to, to, to actually authentically just love people. And when people experience that love, then as First Peter, it says, always have your answer ready for those who ask the reason of your hope. Um, that, that even comes to, invitation on alpha and again this is another thing i love about alpha because it's communal evangelization it's owned by the entire church and there's a lot of people who have a charism of evangelization and they have the gift to be able to go to a coffee shop sit down and have a discussion one-on-one 
and bring people to Jesus. Guess what? I'm not one of those people that I find that very difficult, even though I'm a priest. How weird is that? I'm okay at it when I'm in the confessional, but not in a coffee shop so much. And I think for many Catholics, it's like, you know, you have the duty to evangelize, go and evangelize, go and evangelize. People are like, oh, number one, I'm terrified. Number two, I don't know how to do it. So number three, I ain't doing it. But with, with Alpha, it's actually really simple. It, it, it starts with loving people. And, and, and then when a conversation of faith arises, then you simply say, hey, you know, we've got this thing in our church and I'd love for you to come and try it out. Just, just come and see. This is the first evangelistic strategy we see in the scriptures. Come and see. It's the Jesus method. Come and see. And even just come for one night. And I know that when people come to our alpha, and I would like to say all alphas, but not, not so, because some, some the uber Catholic ones can be weird. But when you know that the whole gear, the whole thing is geared up to welcome the outsider and to just love that person like crazy. Mm-hmm. And when ex- people experience that and then they hear the truth of the kerygma, it, it, over time, as, as the weeks go by and the, and the trust grows, people let down the walls, the gates of their hearts, mm-hmm. and then the, the powerful truth of God penetrates. And for many people, it's sealed in the Holy Spirit weekend where as it says in Romans 8, God's love is poured into our hearts and, and through the, the Holy Spirit. And we cry, Abba, Father. That's the turning point for so many people. And even people who have got messy lives at that point are saying, hey, I'm all in. <laughs> I, I, this has changed my life. I wanna, I'll want to. i live my life however, however he wants me to live it. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. But it, that love, that authentic love is, is the starting point. It's pretty simple. Love God and love others. We're going to shift gears a little bit, Father James. And I knew the podcast would be like this. You're like the evangelization energizer bunny. Just press play and off you go. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, I, want to, I want to reflect a statement that I've heard you say many times and then just get you to talk about what that means. Because uh, I've heard you talk about Alpha as a program is good. You know, it's a good program. But Alpha as a culture is amazing. So tell us what you mean by that. We can be guilty in the church of false advertising. So imagine you decided to do Alpha and you get it right. And it's engaging, it's not judgmental, it's filled with loving, welcoming, hospitable people with very relevant messages in, on the weekend and when you have amazing music and people, this Christianity thing is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm gonna go on Sunday morning to see what it's like. fill in the fill in the blanks you know like uh grumpy parishioners no what no hospitality boring homily terrible music no maybe not in all your kids yeah kind of giving you the death stare to get out (laughs) that's what i get so here's here's the thing in the end no matter how good a program is any program is only going to be as effective as the church that runs it. And if you have one thing going on in the basement on a Friday night or a Wednesday night that has absolutely no reflection on what's going on in the regular life of the church, you're not going to, people are not going to be able to make the shift. Remember the, the Jesus who said, go and make disciples of all nations is also the Jesus who said, Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. Do this in memory of me. The end game of evangelization is to bring people to the altar. 
of the Eucharist and to the sacraments, the full sacramental life of the church. That's the end game. Remember, making babies, growing babies. You know, we've, we've got, if you can't make the turn from downstairs to upstairs, you've got a big problem. And so what we found is that the essential components of Alpha, the culture of Alpha, credible hospitality, loving people, creating spaces for people to belong who neither behave or believe, right? That happens at Alpha. And then slowly it, revealing them growing in the truth, having an experience, a powerful experience of God's love, experiencing amazing community, small group community. Okay, take those elements and then say, what would that look like if that was actually the norm upstairs? How do we do that? And, and that's where it needs to go. And what we found is that by moving our parishioners over the years through Alpha, we actually inculcated this that was a big thing in bringing about that culture to the main part of the church because alpha in itself has a kind of a built-in pipeline. Let me just explain this. To begin with, alpha is, is, is amazing because it can, you can use it to form your parishioners and those not outside the church. Now, we always recommend have the primary aim on the outside but also mobilize the people on the inside. So when we first started Alpha, it was 90% church goers, 10% non-church goers. But the 10% was enough for us to get up and say to people, don't presume that everyone is a church-going, believing Catholic. There might be someone in your group that's an atheist, an agnostic. So don't presume. And people are like, really? Well, okay. So right away, even their first impression of Alpha had them in a different place. And over the years, we've seen that go down. Our last Alpha was about 65% non-church going unchurched people and the average age went way down that hap that happens with a lot of hard work and it's amazing to see it but so the more your parishioners do it over the years our goal is always to bring a guest back onto the team so a guest becomes a helper who does hospitality a helper comes back the next time as a as a small group co-host and the really good ones are brought back the next time as a small group host and some go on to be MCs. We always uh, kick out people from the Alpha team. Every time we do Alpha, we aim for a 50% of the team to be first-time team members. And so we have people moving through. So, for instance, fast forward four or five years after we started Alpha, 80 90% of our ministry leaders had not only done Alpha, but had been on Alpha team for several seasons. So they had been trained in this Kind of missionary sensitivity to to accompany people to walk with people not to be judgmental not to be weird but to be welcoming at least you know, we didn't always get it right but but that began to be open to the power of the holy spirit it began to be normalized into our culture so there's so many more things i could say about that but you know a lot of churches if you don't get this right if you don't see it as a pipeline what happens is you run it for your church members and after 30 to 40% at most of your parishioners have done alpha, it, the numbers just tank. And people say, oh, well, that was good. It's finished. Obviously, it doesn't work anymore. So what are we going to do next? And the tragedy is that, guess what? You never started doing alpha. You never started it. You never actually realized what it was about. It's not about you. It's about reaching people on the outside. Hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about that, Father James, from your experience with your parishioners, because that's a, that's a paradigm shift. It's a big one, and it's one that we're inviting people through Proclaim, is to begin to look outside. And I, I've, I've said this before, is that 
when Pope Francis talks about the periphery, you know, a lot of us as Catholics, we think developing countries or faraway places or whatever, but because of the relationships that all of us just naturally have through our workplace, through community, through wherever we go, we're touching the periphery all the time. All the time we're touching the periphery. You know, it's, it's, it's people that are not engaged in, in any kind of faith. And so, but it's a shift for going, you know, from 90% parishioners taking Alpha down to 65% are kind of outside. How do your parishioners go about doing that? What's, what's sort of best practices, if you will, for getting, getting the right people in the Alpha program? Well, there's, there's many different fronts, many different ways to do it. One, it's got to be really carried and embodied in the leadership of the parish. Hmm. So we speak about Alpha all the time in homilies and communications as our evangelistic tool, that we have other tools that we use for discipleship processes. And before every major alpha launch, we have two weekends where we the homily and a lay witness is linked to alpha. The first homily is about people who are maybe newer church and haven't done alpha yet to do it with a lay witness. And the following week is on invitation. And so we push it there. All throughout the year, we tell alpha stories of transformed lives uh, so that people, it's fresh for people. But I'll give you an example. Just this past weekend, I preach at St. Benedict about once every six weeks. I'm no longer the pastor, but I'm, I'm a parishioner. I'm the weekend help from time to time. And, mm. and, uh, and I have the honor, the pleasure, the joy to preach there, and I love it. But this past weekend, it was, we, I preached a message on, on a homily on the second reading, but in the end, kind of tied up the whole point that that if we can transcend the the trials of, of faith in God's grace, it helps us to take our eyes off ourselves and help others. And the greatest way we can help others is to discover a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the greatest gift we can give to someone. And it led into this uh, mention, this initiative that we're doing this year at St. Benedict Parish for our Alpha you know, last year with the highest percentage of non-churchgoers ever and the youngest age of guests ever, and we want to keep on that trend. So what are we doing? We got these, we have these prayer cards that were developed by Holy Trinity Brompton, the Anglican Church in London, England, who did this. And they used this initiative last year and it had a 40% increase in the number of guests, 40%. Wow. And so we gave to all the parishioners after mass a prayer card with the names of three people for them to write down the names of three people and to begin to pray for them every single day. And then the next week to invite them to come and see, to invite them to the first night of Alpha. So here's the thing, just do the math. We had about uh, 1,300, 1,400 people at Mass this weekend. So if say, say even 1,000 people, if half of them invited one person. So that's 500 invitations. Now we know from Alpha that for every four invitations, uh, one person will say yes. So let's say every five invitations. If, if we did this through invitation and prayer, that's 100 people hmm. who are not connected to church would come on Alpha. And that's one church. That's one parish. How many parishes are there in Canada? We are already equipped as a Catholic church, never mind other, other Christian churches. We are already equipped as a Catholic church in Canada if you if if, if church if even half the churches ran alpha twice a year that we could be proclaiming the gospel in a relevant engaging dynamic way to tens of thousands of people every single year if not more than that mm. and in our experience you know 
is alpha is it you know everyone who takes alpha has a life-changing experience no no not not at all about it's like the parable of the sower right some seed falls in the path and and others falls in the rocky ground and the weeds and and that's what we experience i mean if we think we're going to do better than the lord did then good luck with that mm. remember the seed that falls on the good soil produces 30 40 100 fold that's what we see the good soil the people who respond and and stay the course you know, we've got we've got a lady in our parish who literally has invited 130 people to Alpha. We've had gener- multiple ge- generational conversions because people who took Alpha at her invitation had conversions. They went on to invite others, and we've got like family trees of of con- life change changing conversions. And I was talking to her the other day, and she's already talking about who she can invite at work to the next one. You know, yes. so it's it's keeping that fresh. Culture is shaped by what you tolerate and what you reward. And, and one way that you reward something is to celebrate it. So we celebrate invitations and we celebrate transformed lives. And, and that just helps keep things moving. Culture is very interesting. It's this, especially in the world of the church, there's a, a cultural gravity, a gravitational pull towards being inward focused. Mm. Francis said this. At the, at the, when he was elected in his the pre-conclave speech, he says, the church has become a self-referential church, a church in itself, of itself, for itself. Yeah. And we need to break out of that. That's, I think, being his fund, that's the, the key message of his entire pontificate, this need to, to move outward. And so being intentional about the invitational piece is, is absolutely key. Otherwise, Alpha is a flash in the pan. This is the end of part two of our conversation with Father James. Be sure to subscribe to the Proclaim podcast to catch part three.